the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. That's the flesh. And the destruction that happens when our flesh goes uncontrolled rather than the spirit realm. We see the flesh in this story. Jesus' disciples abandoned him. They all deserted him and fled. This chapter is going to tell us. Why? Because they're flesh. They were afraid. Judas agrees to betray Jesus. 30 pieces of silver. Why? His flesh. There are going to be a lot of times that you will yearn to do great things for God, but then your own desires or fears will get in the way of serving Him. Your own selfish desires are constantly in conflict with your spiritual desires. As you'll learn in today's message from Pastor Gary, you need to recognize your weaknesses and avoid the things that will pull you away from God. Instead, surround yourself with things that will draw you closer to God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Three times Jesus keeps going to them, and I think he's, he's not only urging them to watch and pray with him, but he's trying to find some encouragement from fellow brothers uh, to, to join him in this hour, and he, and he thus is hoping that they would be some source of comfort and strength along with him to seek God and to pray and to be vigilant because of what is at hand. And each time he goes away and he finds them sleeping and he comes back and he prays himself. Each time he goes away, he finds them sleeping, he comes back and he prays himself. And on one occasion, when he goes to them and he's challenging them, he says this again, it's in verse 41, he says, Watch and pray, Gregorio, be vigilant and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. There are really two things here from this whole scene in the Garden of Gethsemane that I take away whenever I read this passage. One is this. Jesus was always determined to defer to the will of the Father. And so should we. You and I have a will. We were created with free will. And there will be times when you have to make a decision. Is it going to be your will or God's will? Is it going to be your way or Yahweh? You know what I'm saying? It's either going to be your way or God's way, Yahweh. And we have to sometimes make conscious decisions. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 is part of what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. He said, thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done. Some of you might say, I'm not always sure I know what God's will is. I know sometimes we don't until kind of after the fact, and then we can kind of get a better perspective after some time has passed, and we can look back and we can see where God was willing and weighing and moving in our lives. But in order to discern God's will, we have to know his word, we have to pray, we have to seek his face. Sometimes God will use the confirmation of other people to confirm what he's been showing us. And understanding and discerning the will of God takes a lot of time with the Lord and prayer to really understand what, God's, what God wants. But regardless of whether you know clearly what his will is or not, in general, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And it's okay sometimes to simply pray when you don't know what God's will is. Father, may your will be done in my life. I don't know all that that entails. I'm not sure I understand what all that might mean. I can't see into the future, but you can, and you know all things, and I defer to you, and I just want your will to be done. And then you have to be courageous enough to accept whatever his will is. Don't throw a fit like a little child who doesn't get candy whenever they beg and want and plead. Because there's going to be sometimes that God says yes to you. There's going to be sometimes God says not now. And there's going to sometimes he says no. Now, the yes answers are always the best. Whenever God says yes, that's praise God and amen. And you come into church and you're singing louder and you're waving your hands and washing windows, you know, doing the whole thing. And you're all caught up in praise. When God says not yet, you're just, you know, your hands a little lower. And when he says no, you're just kind of pouty. That's how our flesh works. But Jesus deferred to the will of the Father, always. And he comes out resolute on the end of this, where he goes back to his sleeping disciples and says, Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. I'm ready to face this. Now, I'm sure he wasn't, you know, all happy about being crucified, of course. It's not that kind of emotion. It's not this denial, like, you know, I pretend like I'm not going to the cross. I pretend like I'm not going to the cross. I pretend like I'm not going to the cross. All is great. It's not like that. It's just basically this, this, he is resolved to do the will of the Father. And in that, he has courage to go to the cross because he knows that God's will needs to be done. And he submits to the will of the Father. And may we always Take Jesus as our example and defer to the will of God. To defer to the will of God. The second thing I see important in this story is this. May we always do battle with our flesh that is constantly in conflict with our spirit. Jesus says there in verse 41, Watch and pray. Be vigilant and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says to his disciples something that we should understand about ourselves. There's going to be a lot of times that your spirit is willing to do great and wonderful things for God. But it's our flesh that gets in the way. It's our flesh that gets in the way. And to whatever degree our flesh gets in the way, it can be very destructive. It can be very destructive. At the time when kings went out to war, David hung back at his palace. And he gazes across the rooftop and he sees a woman bathing on the rooftop which was customary because the roof was an extension of homes back in those days. And you'd have basins to catch the rainwater. And here was Bathsheba bathing in, 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 uh, in, in, in a tub of some kind on the roof of her home, and David sees her. Now, if his spirit had been more in charge, he would have seen and looked away. But his flesh became dominant, and he saw her, And he lusted for her, and he sent for her, and he slept with her, and they conceived a child, and that child died. And the agony of all of that 
was because of his own unbridled flesh. You look at story after story. It's the life of Samson. A life that the Bible describes as a man who physically was very strong, but morally was very weak. His flesh got the best of him. Solomon. Solomon, the son of King David. Here he is king. The Bible says the wisest man on the planet at the time. But he accumulates 700 wives and 300 concubines. Is that the flesh? That's the flesh. That's a lot of flesh. (laughs) That's a thousand mothers-in-law. Do you realize that? That's a lot of shoes, and you don't have any closet space with that deal. I'm telling you as a man, no siree. That's the flesh. And the destruction that happens when our flesh goes uncontrolled rather than the spirit reigning. We see the flesh in this story. Jesus' disciples abandoned him. They all deserted him and fled. This chapter is going to tell us. Why? Because they're flesh. They were afraid. Judas agrees to betray Jesus. 30 pieces of silver. Why? His flesh. He was greedy, proud. Flesh will raise its ugly head in a variety of ways. It can be jealousy, it can be lust, it can be anger, it can be fear. We have to be men and women who pray and ask the Lord, Lord, my spirit is willing, but right now my flesh is weak. Strengthen me. Strengthen me. That I would be vigilant. That I would be prayerful. So that my flesh will not get the best of me. The spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. And we have to recognize the weakness of our flesh and avoid those things that will feed our flesh and introduce ourselves and be surrounded by those things that build us up in our spirit, which is why it's important to get in the Word and and read and pray, because those things will feed our spirit. But there's a lot of things in this world that will naturally feed our flesh. And that's why Paul would say in Galatians 5.16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. But the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So when you look at this story of Gethsemane, look at how resolute Jesus was. Recognize that we are also called to defer to the will of the Father in whatever situation we find ourselves And we should always be seeking the Lord so that our spirit can be strengthened and our flesh can be starved. He says to the disciples after he prays, there again, verse 45, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So he obviously sees... Judas uh, coming from a distance now, and it says in verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And this is a mob, folks. This is a mob that's coming after Jesus to arrest him. In fact, in John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 3, it says a band of men. Matthew says a large crowd, but the word band of men in the original language is referring to a cohort. A Roman cohort was 600 soldiers. 
This is not just 30 or 40 people. I know the movies portray that, even, even as in many ways as, as very accurate as The Passion of the Christ was, if you ever saw that movie. You know, it doesn't show hundreds of people there. It shows a band of 30 or so people, and they come like a mob. I want you to picture hundreds of people who were coming here. This is probably a combination of Roman guards and the temple guard. There was a whole different band of military officers that served the temple who were Jewish and under the uh, control of the chief priest and the high priest. But then there were also Roman soldiers who were positioned there at the Antonio Fortress, particularly during feast times, who were under the Roman government. And so we don't know if this was exclusively the temple guard or this was the Roman cohort or this is a combination. But a large band, John 18.3 says, a band of men, particularly meaning a cohort, I want you to picture several hundred people armed with swords and clubs, middle of the night, so probably torches as well, even though it doesn't specifically say this, they're coming to arrest Jesus. By the way, it would have been full moon, because Passover happens at a full moon, so there was a lot of natural light at this time too, even though it would have been pitch dark in the middle of the night. But verse 48, now the betrayer, that's Judas, had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi and kissed him. Now, two different words in the Greek here. When Judas says to the chief priests and the elders of the law, I'm going to betray you for 30, betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, he says, the one I kiss, it is the Greek word phileo. It's the same word in the Greek that means brotherly love, but it is also the Greek word in the verb form to kiss, phileo. The one I kiss, phileo. He's the one so that you know among his disciples, which really is Jesus. I mean, it's the middle of the night. It's a little dark, so I want you to be sure you arrest the right guy. The one I kiss, phileo, is that man, arrest him. But then it says that when Judas goes to Jesus and he says, greetings, Rabbi, one of the most hypocritical statements in all of the Bible, because he certainly didn't want to greet him and certainly didn't see him as a rabbi or a teacher or a lord in any way, shape, or form. It says then that Judas kissed him, but it's the word kadaphileo, and it means to passionately kiss. It's overdue. I mean, he just overdoes it. It's not just that he goes a little peck on the cheek. He's just like, oh, oh, Rabbi, oh, it's just this. I want you to picture this. It's just over the top. He is just, it's this passionate kissing. It's not just this simple kiss of betrayal. It is this ongoing betrayal, kiss after kiss after kiss. It is just the most hypocritical scene, the saddest scene here. And yet, notice how Jesus refers to him. And you know he means this sincerely. Jesus replied, friend, friend, do what you came for. He calls him friend. And in spite of this over-the-top betrayal that Judas just pours on, Jesus still in the compassion of the Savior who died for all, you know he is heartbroken over what Judas is doing here. He calls him friend, do what you came for. And then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, now we know this is Peter because John tells us, in John 18.10 John 18, that it's Peter, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now, John names this guy in John 18. John names him. His name is Malchus. 
And Luke and Luke's gospel, Luke's very specific because Luke was a doctor. And so Luke is really taking note to this. He's like, he's watching an ear lopped off. Well, Luke was not an eyewitness, but he's hearing about all this. But he's very particular in the scene that is related to him. And Luke says that it was the right ear. He's that specific. It was the right ear of Malchus that was cut off. So here's Peter. This is so typical Peter, right? He's the guy who's like, he's like to Jesus, you know, um, you, you'll never die, you know, and, and Jesus has to rebuke him. You know, get behind me, Satan. And Peter's the one that's like, I can walk on water. I can do this. And then, blah, 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 you know, he sinks. And he's just, and he's always out there. And Peter's the one like, they might, they might betray you. I never will. You know, one little extroverted, embarrassing moment after another. And here's one more. <laughs> Peter's just like, all right. And boom, and he cuts off his ear. Now, you know, he wasn't that good of a shot, okay? He's probably going for his head and he missed. And he only got the ear. Now, this is actually the last miracle because Luke is the one that records that Jesus picks up the ear and reattaches it to Malchus. That is the last miracle, other than you can say the resurrection, but of his physical, of his earthly ministry, that was the last, resurrection, uh, that was the last miracle that Jesus performed was the reattachment of this guy's ear. Wouldn't it have been a more incredible miracle if Peter actually got in the head and the head had rolled away? <laughs> Boom! Wait, guys, turn it around. You got it backwards. And anyhow, I'm twisted, I know. Just, uh, but so this is the last miracle. He reattaches the ear. Uh, Peter's, you know, waving the sword. And Jesus, Jesus says this in verse 52. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Now, a Roman legion was, was 6,000 soldiers. So 12 legions would be 72,000 angels. I don't, I don't think that Jesus was, you know, being, do the math, only 72,000. It's just a, it's a broad term that means I could call as many angels as, as I want to my disposal if I wanted to. That you don't have to use swords and you don't have to do all of this because... The scriptures must be fulfilled. I need to go to the cross. But don't think for a moment that the Romans or the Jews or the Gentiles or anybody is doing this to Jesus. Jesus is doing this for the world. His life is not being taken from him. He is laying down his life. And there's a big difference. Jesus could have just snapped his fingers, batted an eye, and and a whole host of angels would have lit up the night sky and been there to deliver him, except that what compelled Jesus to the cross was his obedience to the Father and his love for you and me. That's what it comes down to. He wanted to be obedient to the Father and his love for you and me is what motivated him to the cross. He tells him, put the sword back in its sheath. The scriptures have to be fulfilled. Verse 55, at that time, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion? That you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then, here it is, all the disciples deserted him and fled. There's their flesh. They're afraid. Your hero's being arrested. And you are his buddy. Uh, They are likely to arrest you. So we better run for our lives while we can. It's, it's their flesh. They lost courage. They fled. All of them. 
Well, verse 57, uh, in your Bibles it might have a subtitle like mine does, Before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling council. It was made up of 70 religious leaders from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There were 70 plus a high priest. It comes from Numbers chapter 11 when Moses had 70 judges that helped him to govern the Jewish people. This is a carryover of that principle in the New Testament with the Jewish ruling council. There are 70 religious leaders. Now, there are going to be two among this group who do not want to participate in the condemnation of Jesus. One is Joseph of Arimathea, that the Bible says that Joseph of Arimathea dissented. He gave a dissenting vote. Uh, the Bible tells us. And, and then you have Nicodemus, who was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's the one in John 3 that Jesus has this whole conversation with about what it, must be, what it means to be born again. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus will be the two that show up at the scene of the cross, and they will request from Pilate the body of Jesus, and they will bury Jesus in the tomb that is owned by Joseph of Arimathea. So it is a, a pretty safe conclusion to, to assume, although we, we don't... The Bibles talk about them being disciples uh, of Jesus and that they were uh, followers of, of the Lord, although how public they were about it, uh, we, we're not quite sure. But um, Jesus is going to be hauled here before the Jewish ruling council, these 70 elders uh, made up of Pharisees and, and Sadducees. Uh, they had a rule among themselves at this time that they needed 23 for a quorum. They, their, their rules also were that they needed a simple majority to acquit someone, to acquit someone who was, found, who was uh, charged with a crime. A simple majority would acquit someone, and if they were acquitted, they had to be released immediately. Their rules also were that it took a simple majority plus two to condemn someone. Simple majority plus two, to condemn someone. But that if they determined someone was guilty of a crime, they would always, this was their own, this was their own self-imposed rule, they would sleep on it and they would not impose judgment until the next day. They're going to violate all their rules. They're about to violate all their rules. Because another rule was they never charge a man and condemn him on the same day. They're going to charge Jesus and condemn him on the same day. They're going to condemn him without true witnesses. And they're also going to condemn him and not wait for the next morning to sentence him. But because the death penalty has been taken away from the Jews, and Rome exclusively has the right to capital punishment, they're going to have to appeal to Pontius Pilate in order to get Jesus crucified. But this is the beginning of all of this, the mock trial, and they're going to pass into Pontius Pilate. Luke says, then he goes from Pontius Pilate to Herod, and then the Bible tells us he goes back from Herod to Pontius Pilate, and then Pontius Pilate eventually sentences him to death, though reluctantly. This, this becomes now uh, this seen here. And so look at verse 57. It says, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now, all the other gospels say that uh, 
Peter was warming himself by a fire. So it's a chilly evening. He's keeping his distance. He wants to see what's going on, but he doesn't have the courage to come out into, into, the, uh, the, into the open to really be known. So verse 59 says that the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know